This is City AM Unregulated. I'm Zach Meir. And I'm Emma Hazlitt. On this week's show... The best-dressed broker in the business, Bill Hubbard, adds a Panama hat to his bow tie and braces. It's not illegal. It's not tax evasion. I mean, I don't have to tell you. It's something that's, you know, been a part of business, a part of wealth management for since day one. One made Viagra, the other invented Botox, but the sexiest pharma deal in history couldn't last. Investor Chris Bailey on the Pfizer Allergan collapse. Two days after the US put in some tighter regulations and this deal's fallen apart. What does that tell you? And which is really the financial capital of the world, London or New York? Shanghai, Dubai, London, goodbye. Welcome to City AM Unregulated. Welcome to the first City AM Unregulated programme. On today's show, we are discussing the issues of the day. Uh, the first one relates to Panama, which was uh, used to be famous for its uh, canal, then became famous for its pump, and now has become even more famous for its papers. Bill Hubbard, uh, Panama roughly in your hemisphere of the world. Um, yes. Could you, I mean, what's your view from an American perspective? It's not illegal. It's not tax avoidance, not tax evasion. I mean, I don't have to tell you, we got Panama and we got Switzerland, we got Luxembourg, and it's something that's, you know, been a part of business, a part of wealth management for since day one. Chris Bailey, what's your view? I think Bill summarises it very well. For me, Panama Papers, it's all about hypocrisy. It's the hypocrisy of politicians or other business people who said one thing and are doing something different. What they're doing is not illegal. It's just perhaps they're purporting to be something different. And when the reality comes out, it's also embarrassing. For is them. the law an ass? The law is an ass, I think, because actually you, there should be further, if you like, um, efforts made to try to force people to disclose this sort of thing. You know, the fact that the Icelandic Prime Minister can stand up there and say, I don't have anything, oh, but by the way, my wife does. And for that to come out just because somebody published some papers, that is wrong. It could be argued, I'm going to play devil's advocate here, that places like Norway, where everybody has to publish all the details of every single one of their tax returns, they kind of avoid situations like this. There aren't as many political scandals. But isn't this, uh, as uh, the Cabinet officers have suggested, a private matter between uh, uh, David Cameron, his uh, conscience, and his bank account? It's never a private matter when you're in the public eye. When you're in the public eye, you have to adhere to higher standards than perhaps are legally or sort of morally required. And in this case, unfortunately, Mr Cameron, I feel a bit of sympathy for him, to be honest. He's in a difficult position. He's come out there and said, look, um, we don't like these tax avoidance schemes and related. The trouble is... A little bit of back history with his father. Probably you set it up way before David Cameron was even aware but of what his tax father's avoidance way, scheme yeah, but is. But for, his father's, all that work over 20, 30 years has been wasted because none of that money is now going to go to the people his father intended to go to. They've just um, abdicated all rights to, to this cash. It's very, very sad indeed. But Zach, one of the things you say, OK, the difference between U.S. politicians... All right, let's just look at Barack Obama or anybody else, OK? Once you become an elected official in the United States, you cannot trade, you cannot deal. All of your assets go into a government-known regulated trust, OK? So if need be... Everybody in the United States could go on Wikipedia or XYZ and find out exactly what Barack Obama owns. The only thing that he makes money on now is his salary. OK, let's hear about what President Obama had to say about this. The overwhelming majority of folks work hard and they play by the rules. And they deserve to see their hard work rewarded. 
they also deserve to know that big corporations aren't playing by a different set of rules, uh, that the wealthiest among us uh, aren't able to game the system. There has been some progress made in coordinating between tax authorities in different countries so that we can uh, make sure that we're catching some of the most egregious examples. Uh, but as I said before, one of the big problems that we have, Michael, is that uh, a lot of this stuff is legal, not illegal. And unless uh, the United States and other countries lead by example in closing some of these loopholes and provisions, uh, then in many cases you can trace what's taking place, but you can't stop it. Okay, let's go to Bill again. I mean, is that the right thing to do? Should America be leading this? Somebody has to, okay? You know, whether it's tax evasion, tax avoidant, ISIS, problem, April Spring, et cetera, et cetera, somebody has to be captain of the team. The key is going to be is tomorrow, the next day, the next week, will we see something from the European Central Bank? Will we see something from the Bank of England? Will we see something from People's Bank of China? And, and that's the key, okay? And, and it's a situation where he knows, I know, there have been any number of U.S. corporations. I mean, I guess the classic was years ago when a guy named John DeLorean decided to start making cars in, in Ireland. Well, it was a situation where it was all legal, and it did wonders for the employment situation in Ireland when, when everybody started moving over in the 70s. The whole taxation system came into being, say, 200 years ago. It was based on exploiting the hatred of poor people for the rich. What we've seen now is that rich people don't really pay tax. Uh, or Once you become rich, uh, you pay much less than, than proportionately than us little people do. So, that's, uh, so that really has been, it's been a con. And we're finding out that the whole thing has been a con. We've been suckered for 200 years. Some people still think that, and we're conned even more because as it's not illegal, and a lot of people still believe in, you know, that law is like, you know, if the law says it's right, it's like a religious thing, you have to do it. Um, so people still think it's fine. But the reality is all those billions in Panama could be going to hospitals, helping the sick, helping the elderly, all those things. And probably we, we could solve many of our health issues, infrastructure issues, if but, but, Cameron's father and others were actually paying, but, but some, you know, paying, for, uh, paying their fair share. But just as an American, OK, the one thing, we had this slight problem with uh, our early invaders back in 1775, I think it was. And it was called taxation without representation or dual taxation, OK? Being a U.S. citizen over here, all right? The simple fact is, when I put money into my pension, okay, for all those years, I am now collecting my pension. I pay no tax on it. Why? I pay tax going into the pension, okay? Also, the simple fact is, is that the law says interest on mortgages is a tax-deductible expense from my net income. Also, one of the things that really got credit cards going in the, in the 70s was when everybody started driving. In those days, it was 13 cents per gallon, okay? If I had my receipt, okay, I'd already paid the tax once, I got that back, okay? It was just simple, basic, but also in reference to what you're talking about. I think about one of my former bosses, okay? I think about the Bill Gates, the Warren Buffetts, the Mike Bloombergs, the 50% rule, okay? Also in the States. One of the reasons why Harvard University has a $37 billion pension, one of the reasons why Yale University has a 30 $4 million pension, billion. Why? You get a tax advantage for giving to a nonprofit organization. And the last times I looked, probably hospitals, et cetera, et cetera, were 
nonprofits. Okay. Yeah, I, I think uh, you made some great points, Zach. The here's my view, though. Today's world has changed. It's changed from the last two hundred years or so. And in today's world, we have this wonderful thing called information dissemination, which previously could be hushed up, quieted up. There were scandals aplenty going on with people doing all sorts of stuff, even a generation or two ago. Today, people in public life have got to adhere to the old theory that anything you do, you've got to be happy that it appears on the front page of the Sunday newspaper because <laughs> you're never really going to know if someone's going to shop you in or not. So David Cameron is going to be happy that uh, the latest speculation is that he's going to inherit from his mother. Uh, from a trust in Jersey. He's going to be happy about that, is he? He's is gonna... it New Jersey? Possibly. <laughs> there wouldn't be that much to, for him to inherit from New Jersey. I'd suggest that the, the, the tax, uh, the tax uh, sort of aspects were perhaps not quite so convenient. But the reality is, Zach, he's going to have to live with it. Hmm. And he's gonna... actually, people like it when, they, when politicians or people in public life say, look, guys, here, I'm going to put it all on the table. Here it is. You make a decision. You tell me what you think. And the great thing is, in this country, we at least get to elect politicians and say what they do. The real scandal from we all of these... We will do in the States. <laughs> the Donald. <laughs> but the real scandal, the whole Panama Papers, the real kind of material aspect is that in certain places, unelected politicians or business czars with, with, with no real constraint on what they're doing, what some of the things that they're up to... Now, that is really fascinating. Panama Papers is sort of embarrassing for individual politicians in the West. In various other parts of the world, very more excitable parts of the world, it could actually be potentially regime-changing. That's what's what, interesting what about no it. What no-one's mentioned is that, you know, anyone who owns a business in the UK has implemented some kind of something to minimise their tax bill. David Cameron's dad is not the only person in the UK who has done this. Hmm. And, and the, thing, the reality is, Emma, would, you, would a pers business person be embarrassed about that, saying, look, I've done this, I've invested here, I've, I've took advantage of this tax, tax break here. If it all comes out, I'm a business owner. I'm not embarrassed if somebody says to me, look, you've done this and you've done that, and that's been mitigated against your tax bill. I'm not embarrassed. If that appears on the front page, it's totally unnewsworthy, but I'm not embarrassed by the it. The bottom line is here, if you, if you t send your money to a tax haven, it's because you're either shady or greedy or both. And there is nobody who's outside those parameters, whether it's, uh, I, w I don't know who I can mention out of the Panama Papers, <laughs> who celebrities have just been leaked, but they are all great, greedy or shady. Precisely. The key word is hypocrisy. And that is why it, it was... A, the actual disclosure themselves were in the wider scheme of things. I'm amazed we haven't seen any huge corporate leaders, any major US citizens or anything like that. I can't believe they're all whiter than white. But the major issue is hypocrisy. It's hypocrisy of people who stood up there and said, I'm doing one thing or I stand for one thing, and behind the scenes they're doing another. So should, should uh, David Cameron resign on the basis that he's a hypocrite or that he's actually going to get or would have got if he hadn't been found out he would have got money from his father's tax uh, haven? My view is David Cameron should, should say, look, guys, um, his situation, make a full disclosure, you decide. But he shouldn't, he shouldn't, he shouldn't I, resign. I don't think he should resign. Because he do as, far like, as, like as far as I'm concerned, he hasn't come out aggressively and said, uh, I, I absolutely dislike people. They've tried to close loopholes and everything else. The reality is UK law does not require the full disclosure of all these matters. We've seen the videos, we've seen the videos of him saying, you know, we, we as a government, we're going to hunt down the, uh, the, the evaders and the avoiders and all the other people like that. And this is a very serious matter. And it's a, it's a pillar of our yeah, but, but, policy. And then, uh, you know, less than a year later, and he's also he was writing to the EU to sort of change to tweak the rules in favour of his own uh, talking his own book basically. I mean, it's, it's caught red-handed. But but Zach, if this were if we were talking about this pre Lehman Brothers, when everybody in the city was making multi millions and multi billions, and everybody was on a you know 
a winner. Nobody would even care. Is it now coming up because we've got austerity? We've got problems with immigration. We've got this, that, or the other. So, I mean, is it a question of the discussion now would be far We're, we're in a scapegoat witch hunt type of uh, atmosphere here. Yes. We're, we're in that on many different somebody, fronts, okay. many different fronts so, within the media, all over the place. So this is part of that. Uh, this is just another pattern. opportunity to bank a bash, yes. essentially. And, and I mean, right or wrong, I have to agree with so many of the things that the Donald is talking about, because I don't need to tell <laughs> you in the last 25 years, we've gone from what is middle class? You know, we're super rich or super poor. And the point he's talking about is being disenfranchised. He's talking about Mr. and Mrs. Jones, who have two children. They're worried about school fees. They're worried about jobs. They're worried about medical care. Th these are basic philosophies that people are concerned about. So this is just another thing saying, oh, my gosh, look at Joe Bloch. He's making $42 trillion. You know, I probably paid more in tax last year, and I'm unemployed, than he did. Right. Um, I was. Uh, I have to say, I was very disappointed this week that uh, the uh, deal between Pfizer and Allergan has not gone through. I was hoping that I'd have a one-stop shop for all the uh, drugs that I need on a daily basis. Um, but uh, unfortunately, Allergan's Botox uh, will not be joining uh, the stable at Pfizer. What do we make of it? Two days after the US put in some tighter regulations and in, in, sort of inducing a few changes, this deal's fallen apart. What does that tell you? This deal had no fundamental underpinning whatsoever. It was all about minimising tax, taking advantage of the various loopholes and related. And what did you say? You said minimise. You didn't say avoid. You said minimise. No, it's, it's legal. What they're trying to do is You're legal. Right. The US authorities are making a few changes, maybe making things ultimately illegal. But ultimately, the clear point from an investment perspective is this deal had no fundamental operational pharmaceutical treatment-led rationale. I disagree to, uh, totally. Um, we do not know uh, what, I mean, for instance, in the case of, of this deal, the, the bottom line was the US Treasury Department said, Pfizer, you can't take over Allegan. That's it. And whether there was a reason or not, it was government, well, deci it was it. government deciding what a private, did, private did company should do. Did they use inversion or did they use saying, oh my goodness, two pharmaceuticals, right? So instead of going from five pharmaceuticals, you go to three pharmaceuticals. Would it have been, quote, as what Hillary Clinton's been talking about? price gouging because you're getting rid of the competition. So, I mean, the fact is, did they mask that concept of not allowing it because it would reduce competition? Said, so, oh, we'll use a new term called inversion. I mean, I, I don't know. It's not, yeah, but it's none of government's business to interfere with that process of uh, corporate um, corporate activity. Well, we, we, I mean, in, in the States, the SEC and the regulatory authorities do have that power. And I'm sure the same thing over here, whether it be the FCA or, or whatever it is. I mean, the simple It wasn't fact a competition that, issue. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it wasn't a regular... There was no issue. I don't of, need both. There was no... <laughs> <laughs> but, 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 Zach, here's my view. Ten years ago, we had a bunch of deals that were driven by things like goodwill, rationale, and things like that. A whole lot of Spanish companies took over a bunch of UK-related companies. All those deals ended pretty much disastrously because they were driven by something, some, some financial, archaic financial rationale. Right. Fundamentally, um, I'm not convinced this deal had great legs. Here's why. A really good deal is it would one... Have had cost save, it would have had cost savings anyway, it, even have... without the tax um, structure. Yeah, which is why then, if... The, the tax structure is interesting, but it tells you that they're so sensitive to it that they weren't willing to progress with it. I, I personally don't buy that the US authorities said no. The US authorities, you're not going to say no to the U Department of Justice, the US Treasury Department, etc. Right. You know, nobody does that. And but look what? on a lesser scale, OK? Why do you think there's so many American investors buying Sporting Man United, 
FIFA, Formula One, etc. Okay, we have what we call tax loss carry forwards. Okay, we all know about if you decide to buy oil, that's a depleting asset. Okay, the same thing works in the states, right? Salaries is a depleting asset. Okay, so if you'll notice, and you probably have it, so many sports teams change hands every five and a half to seven years. Why? Joe Bloggs has got his tax advantage. And you see the guy who's looking going to buy Formula One. He already owns one sporting company. It'll probably be a situation where he may sell his Miami Dolphins football club. But it's, he is not doing anything wrong. This is 100% tax efficient. Chris, do you see this as having an implication on farmer uh, mega deals generally? Um, I, I think I do, because... <laughs> Clearly, there's now an uncertainty, and there's a source of these deals which is now being pulled away. I mean, fundamentally, pharmaceuticals got a big problem. Big pharma, it's got a lack of new products. It's having to rely on some of the things that mentioned, cost cutting and related to drive their their earnings base forward. And clearly, they're sort of hollowing themselves out slowly um, w- without any sort of real impetus underneath it. The reason why, in my opinion, it's been quite, it's been clearly very political. All of these issues. And I think the U.S. authorities may be hiding behind the real rationale, which is that they want to crack down on these schemes. Yes. And they'll give another sort of a little nudge of reason that perhaps you guys can't come together in order to hide a bit also, of face. Chris, another thing, and I don't know whether anybody is we mentioned Barack Obama. It ended this week. There was a four-part series on called Inside Obama's White House. Series number two was about Obamacare. And one of the biggest problems he had was the cost, Okay. And all we have to think about is whether it's right or wrong. What has Hillary Clinton been talking about? She has been bashing the pharmaceuticals and the exorbitant prices. So is it a situation where this was done maybe on the concern, fear that D- Hillary Democrat Clinton could become bashing president? big business. What a surprise. It's like a socialist well, over here. Well, it's not big business. It's a specific part of big business because Obama has been fighting everybody. And the simple fact is he got it done. And it's probably the only thing that he has gotten They done. changed the rules. They, they changed the goalpost while the deal was going ahead. Well, we, we, we have... worse than China. We have an opposition called the Republican Party. <laughs> How <laughs> long did it take for this deal to go through? Oh, it, uh, or not go through? Well, it, it started, what, 2008 and was, what, 2013, 14? And even now, you've still, still got the, the anti-abortion. You've got the birth control. People are saying that certain parts of Obamacare doesn't conform to the Catholic Church. And, I mean, oh, we just saw the situation going on in Northern Ireland right now. So, I mean, it, it's... 99% of the deal was okay, but then it's the 1% of the deal that hits the newspapers. Pick up your point again, Emma. The reality is, for the last generation, we viewed healthcare, big big pharma, as a defensive investment. It's got the rationale from an ageing population. It had Excuse sort me. of some kind of Excuse pattern me. protection. I'm offended by that. <laughs> <laughs> We're all ageing, I'm afraid, Bill. We can't get around it. Um, it had that sort of those fundamental rationales that investors liked. They were quite divvy-heavy, obviously, as well. Yeah. Um, the trouble is, is that where as the products sort of start to fade away, certain other issues um, come to the fore... They've investigated all these ways to kind of come together, try and reduce their tax bill and related. They're running out of steam. So from an investment perspective, the whole healthcare pharma space is becoming trickier. However, the good news is you find a company that's doing something innovative and interesting, those, surely those companies are going to be gobbled up uh, by big pharma. They desperately need that, uh, Give, that I mean, flow. 
given a lot of problems they're having with patents at the moment, do you think consolidation is the only way forward for them? It's been the case for the last 10 or 15 years. So um, I think the reality is now they have to start thinking a bit more smartly. And what's interesting is you look at a company like Glaxo, who themselves are at a big kind of strategic sort of decision-making point at the moment. And what they're starting to talk a bit more about are collaborations with biotechs and universities, not this sort of big business model, but actually splitting themselves up into much smaller bits exactly. potentially in order to keep innovative and flexible. This That's is the key. The key. Right. This is uh, for some anybody who's interested in the um, the Brexit debate. Uh, this is um, music to their ears or not, or a bad tune in, uh, in the uh, a sort of hangover, I suppose. But uh, the EU le- leaflet row is here on the basis that uh, the government's um, backed a uh, Remain campaign with nine million pounds. I'm personally looking to get a knock on the door and somebody offering me nine million pounds to produce a 14 page leaflet. Uh, it's quite, it's quite well, good I, money per page, I, isn't it? I've been offered £9 million if I would leave the UK. <laughs> <laughs> it must so, be a very very nicely weighted <laughs> leaflet. Well, it must be sort of uh, gold-plated, I would have thought. <laughs> but uh, isn't I mean, wouldn't it be fine? Uh, obviously, there's an outcry from people like Boris and Nigel and uh, those kinds of people, but uh, wouldn't, it, wouldn't it have been okay, or would it be okay if there was uh, a, a leaflet with the opposite argument? The reality is that there should be. The, the trouble is there's... I'm often feeling there's far too much information about uh, EU referendum. I mean, you look everywhere, and what we actually need are, is less, not more. And actually what we do need is a fast-forwarding to about the 20th of June because with, with two and a half months to go, I'm more than done in terms yeah. of information yeah. flow. But the de- democratic process here is so skewed. I mean, the first, the, you know, the referendum was, supposed, was promised by, um, by David Cameron, 2017, he's actually over-delivered, he's done it a year earlier. But unfortunately, it wasn't said at the time that the government was going to be backing one side of the race. So that, that's totally unfair. It's, totally, it's like 1984 or something, isn't it? And then you've got the money of the government and you've got all the... The loyalist in the government as well. If, yeah. you're a, if you're a good person, you'll support the government. The only thing why I will support this, okay, is I was uh, playing bridge with some friends of mine over the weekend, okay? They're, they're English. I can't vote in this election, okay? And one of the things they were concerned about was how many of the 18 to 25 or 30-year-olds who don't read newspapers. They read City AM, of course. Of course. Don't read newspapers and don't listen. So right or wrong, if nothing else... This will be delivered to them, okay? If they don't read it, it's their own fault. I wouldn't, I don't care whether it's pro or negative, but it is a situation where some of the people then will have at least the definitive, because I mean, I, th- I think it was in 75, there were 35% of the population that didn't vote. Bill, I, I hate okay. to break it to you, but you know, a 15 to 25 year old sees um, something coming <laughs> out of the letterbox. They run they're, in the opposite they're direction. Not, they're not going to be doing anything with that. I mean, it's, at, the, at the very best, it's junk mail. At the very worst, I don't know what they would be doing with that £9 million. What they need to do is spend £9 million on Snapchat. I don't know what that is. Obviously, (laughs) we did see uh, David Cameron taking his jacket off to speak to young people the other day. That would really swing it, wouldn't it? Absolutely. And and the trouble with the 9 million on Snapchat is that it would disappear after about 20 seconds. (laughs) Which arguably this money might do in any case, hence the large inflation of the fees. Anyway, if if you take a look at this, though, here's, here's my view. At least we're getting something. And the reality is is that the government, or at least the core of the government, the leader of the government, as well as the leader of the Labour Party and the Lib Dems, if they still exist, um, are backing Remain. And so guess what? We're going to get a skewed 
uh, information dissemination. The That's the real But, but it is information. It's okay. as bent as a six-pound note. I mean, it's just totally one way. You've just got a few freaks on on the on the Brexit side. The the the, the, the tops on one side who want to be who want to be who want to be prime minister and just want to you know the, like the sort of the basically the rebel government let's say the rebel Tory government otherwise it's just totally one way but Zach I mean, they're doing to, they're doing democracy. an exceedingly good job you know Le- the Leave campaign quite has been taking the lead in some polls so not at the have moment a unified I don't party think. do they I mean aren't there two Leave units or something I mean I don't, I don't... Yeah. but but at least we all know about it. And unlike the sort of the disclosures in the Panama Papers and related, which we found out about after the <laughs> after the event, at least we've got full information dissemination. Everyone knows what everyone thinks. The fact that a few extra million quid's been thrown at some leaflet, which I doubt very many people will read, that's by the by. But at least we know about it. It's on the front page of all the newspapers. People can take a view on it. And if they don't like it, they can vote it's against it. It's their own fault, OK? They were given the information. It may have only been one half it was there, okay. So therefore, they may have had a yes, a, a no, a yes. They, they have they have something that they can read and say yes, I agree with it, or no, I don't. Right. The battle between London and New York and the financial markets. Uh, you can obviously, well, from as a proud Londoner, you can obviously see what it's like to be in the U.S., where you have uh, the authorities trying to uh, stop companies taking each other over. That doesn't sound like the free market at all. Uh, whereas in the UK, obviously, we're open for business and we're even trying to save businesses which um, should be um, allowed to die, like uh, the steel industry. So we're, we're so pro-business over here. Uh, Bill, is, is New York a good place to do business? Well, I mean, I haven't lived there for a while, but I mean, I, I did trade there for 18 years in the situation where we made a number of opportunities to make sure that New York continued to do business, okay, whether it was internal regulations, whether it was external regulations. And I think one of the things, and you just mentioned about steel, okay, for what it's worth, I don't need to tell you, I think we all know this, you know, the U.S. a while ago put on it for anti-damping. It was only 256%. But the simple fact is the U.S. knew this was a problem with steel a number of years ago, okay, a number of U.S., New York, hedge funds, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. U.S. US steel companies now are profitable and have been for a number of years, okay? They adapted to whatever needed to be done. And and, and one of the things, let's go back very briefly, okay, in the 70s when the U.S. automobile industry was working, okay, and there were always three-year contracts, Ford, General Motors, and Chrysler, okay? And say it was 74 Excuse me, and it was Chrysler's turn to negotiate contracts with the union, okay? Well, uh, the U.S. automobile industry kept asking, what is a Volkswagen? What is a Fiat? And they were starting to lose competitive. And so a guy named Lee Iacocca was chairman of Chrysler. You may not remember him, but if you've ever heard of a Mustang, he invented it, okay? So he negotiated with the unions and this, that, and the other, and finally called a meeting and say it was quarter to 12. He walked in with a huge padlock. And it was, hey, what's the matter? And the Iacocca says, you've got 15 minutes to approve the deal. And they kept saying, if we don't, what's going to happen? He says, this padlock is going to go on the gates. I'm closing it down. And you know as well as I do, there are no job openings at Ford or General Motors. I think we had an Usain Bolt moment. They immediately signed the deal for the simple fact is any job is better than no job. But in New York, it's a situation where I loved it. Working on Wall Street in the 70s and 80s was like a UEFA Cup final every day. It was magic, okay? And, and I feel that, you know, the U.S. authorities 
and I will have to say, I'm sure there are a number of New York firms saying, let's hope for Brexit. <laughs> what, what pleasantly surprised me about this story was that they cited London's innovation. I mean, we're, we're quite often criticised for our lack of innovation, certainly lack of ability to create any meaningful IP. But is this a sign that London is turning around? We're becoming more innovative. We're becoming a leader. I think London's always been that, that way and the, the UK's always had a very global orientation. I think we've always been quite good at, at punching above our weight and we're still sort of attempting to do that. So that didn't surprise me. I, I actually thought when I looked at the report, I inevitably cynically looked the other way around, which was, oh my goodness, we've got London and New York jockeying in positions one and two, feeling all proud and slight hubris and whatever else. When the reality is, you know, we've got some big trends which are actually potentially undermining some of the, the wonderful positioning of, of these two great cities. And the reality is there used to be a time when Bankers from London or New York would fly around all, all places in the world spewing out their, their, their thoughts and insights and assistance and, and, of course, fee collection capabilities. But the reality is the world is getting cleverer. The rest of the world, they're catching up quick. Loads of clever people in lots of distant places. And I'm just concerned if we, we look at this and think it's a status quo and it isn't. I looked at that top ten list and I thought to myself... Actually, what we want to see is 11 to 20, because I bet there's some really exciting cities on there. And a point that you just made, okay, this maybe go back to Lehman Brothers when things were going on over here, okay? I had several friends of mine that were basically set around the world, and one of them kept saying, and he was sent by Barclays to open up an operation, okay? There were 250 seats in his operation at Singapore. When he opened it, there were like four people, okay? And my friend kept saying, management kept saying, Shanghai, Dubai, London, goodbye. And it was all a situation where they knew the money was moving to those two parts of the world. The regulations were conducive to dinero. I mean, as part of that, um, airport capacity was cited as one of London's great challenges. Are we ever going to sort this out? <laughs> of course we are, you know, and your grandchildren's. <laughs> they'll, they'll sort it out eventually, but the trouble is it takes time. And, uh, and re- this, is, this, is, this is the trouble with regulation, isn't it, ultimately? Planning regulations and related, they're, they're there for good intentions, but they just take way too long. So there needs but to be a business decision. they don't need decision. to, OK? We spent all of our times regulations, talking about this. Talk, I mean, how long have they... I mean, when was the last uh, airport uh, runway? 57 or something? I mean, we, I mean, that's amazing. It's, you know, we should have had a completely new airport. Uh, I mean, we saw this years ago in Washington, D.C., okay, when we built Ronald Reagan Airport. Well, it was 17 miles outside of Washington, D.C. Well, they put a metro in. You know, there was no problem with parking, no problem with congestion, and people were able to get from Ronald Reagan Airport to downtown Washington in a matter of minutes. Hear, hear people like the challengers you know, yeah, okay, an, yeah. hour, an hour to each of the airports. It's, yeah. it's, just, it's a lot of fun. You, you know, want to spend the rest of your life in <laughs> Okay, we'll wrap this up now. So thank you so much for Chris and Bill for coming along. This has been City AM Unregulated. Next week, a London Mayor election special following the City AM hustings. With thanks to Bill Hubbard and Chris Bailey, this has been City AM Unregulated. City AM Unregulated is an audio boom production.